Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. Whoever you are and whatever body you are in, whomever you love, you are welcome here. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in everyone. And one of the ways that we greet the divine in our midst on a Sunday morning is by turning to the folks around us and welcoming them here. If you're watching on live stream, please greet one another in the comments. Now please join us in saying the words for lighting the chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is warmth that we share with one another. Our call to worship this morning is a poem by Langston Hughes. I've known rivers. I've known rivers ancient as the world and older than the flow of human blood in human veins. My soul has grown deep like the rivers. I bathed in the Euphrates when dawns were young. I built my hut near the Congo and it lulled me to sleep. I looked upon the Nile and raised the pyramids above it. I heard the singing of the Mississippi when Abe Lincoln went down to New Orleans, and I've seen its muddy bosom turn all golden in the sunset. I've known rivers, ancient, dusky rivers. My soul has grown deep like the rivers. This congregation wrote its own mission statement to guide its decisions as it moves forward into the future. We wrote it on the wall and we like to say it every Sunday. Let us say it together. Together we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. After we say our mission, we have a moment for beloved community and I've been going through the eighth principle um, which is something we are going to vote on as a congregation in May at our May meeting and something I'm going to preach on in two weeks. And after the service on April 3rd, we're going to have a discussion, if you care to stay, about the eighth principle. Um, the weird thing for Unitarian Universalists about this principle is that they are asking us to vote on it straight up or down, yes or no, with no wordsmithing. Now, this is hard on us <laughs> because we all know how something could be written better, but this is how it is, and this is what is this, and this is what we're voting on. Okay, so here's what it says. We affirm and promote journeying towards spiritual wholeness by working to build a diverse, multicultural, beloved community by our actions that accountably dismantle racism and other oppressions in ourselves and our institutions. So last time we talked about what accountably 
actions accountably meant, um, by which I mean nobody's really clear what it means, but I talked about several things it could mean. And now today we're talking about dismantling racism and other oppressions, and next Sunday we'll talk about in ourselves and in our institutions. So racism, as you all know, is the idea that one ethnicity or race is superior to another, and our culture that we live in in America is a white supremacy culture, which just means it's, it, it doesn't have anything to do with feeling guilty for being white. It's not about that. It's just about how things have been um, structured t- from the beginning to make it easier for a person who identifies as white to be successful, to have money, to have a good job, to have family wealth that you can pass down, than it is for people of color. So um, our board has been reading a book about this called The Sum of Us, and if you want to read about how the culture is structured in order to make white people come out on top, you can read The Sum of Us and you will be elucidated. Um, what I'm talking about today is, okay, racism and other oppressions. So we have, um, we have a number of oppressions in our culture. We have um, ableism, which means that if you use a wheelchair, it's a big pain in the neck. And people trust you more if you are an able, healthy person. Um, in our culture, it's as if we believe the Puritan belief that God blesses you with wealth and health. And if you have wealth and health, it means you're a blessed person, which must mean you're a good person, which must mean God likes you better, which must mean God has blessed you. And if you don't have wealth, and if you don't have health, it's your fault somehow. And it means God has kind of unblessed you. That is one oppression. Another oppression is patriarchy in our culture. Our culture is set up so that, uh, m- that men, especially white men, are playing the video game at a lower level of difficulty than everybody else. Um, it doesn't mean you can't lose. You can. It just means you're playing the game at a lower level of difficulty. And I hope that that makes sense to those of y'all who don't play video games. If you're a queer, disabled, black woman, you're playing the game at the highest level of difficulty. So anyway, there are a bunch of oppressions, and what we'll talk about next week is how they're in us, we carry them around and believe them, whether we want to believe them or not, and how they're in our institutions. Our meditation reading this morning is by Thomas Lloyd Qualls from his novel, Painted Oxen. Water knows no boundary. Though we may draw it on a map, say this is where this water starts and where it ends, it is not true. Water knows the way into the great mystery. It is not afraid of going underground. Water is not afraid of dams or dry creeks, bridges, or brick walls. 
it is patient. Water understands time. It will find a way. Now is the time in our service when we try to make our bodies and our minds quiet together. We breathe from our bellies, if we can, just all breathing together, just for about five or six breaths. Let's try it all together. It is good to breathe. It is good to breathe together. It's good to breathe together with adults and children all in the same room. We love hearing the voices of the children. It is good to gather as a community to make the world a better place and to nourish our own souls and transform our own lives as well as others. May it be so. You are now invited as we continue in an attitude of meditation to light candles of joy or sorrow or hope, remembrance or determination. It feels like I'm born. 
today is the Sunday close enough to the closest to the equinox, which is all about balance. And one of the ways that we balance ourselves when we've had a trauma is by talking about it. Otherwise, it just sits in there and it um, can make us sick or surly or twisted. It's hard to process a trauma, especially, um, and usually we don't have traumas that we all share. Um, but this pandemic has been one that's been shared by people all around the globe. And then we as Texans had a special one last year and a month. We had the freeze. And many of us were without power and water. And it was really hard. And we washed our hands in snow, which is uncomfortable. And we used snow in our potties, like the story says. And I thought it would be good this morning if along with our bringing water from places that made us feel good and happy, along with that, you might want to say a couple of sentences about how the freeze was for you. Did you lose power? Did you lose water? Did you help your neighbors? Did your neighbors help you? What happened in order to survive this experience that we all had? One among you wanted the church to give away water, and we wanted to, but we had a big leak in one of the offices. And so another among you came and capped the leak so that we could give away water. After the freeze, another among you had no water in their home, even when the water started going for everybody else, because their plumbing was rotten. And you, the church, helped her get her plumbing working again so she could have water one more time for a little while longer. Um, this was an experience that we shared, and it's not a competition to see whose was the worst. <laughs> but it is a sharing of experiences, and the reason that we're combining water from a place that made your heart feel good with sentences about the freeze is because we human beings are complicated, and we have joy and we have trauma all in the same body. And we bring all of that to church. There are churches where they say, leave your troubles at the door, but not in this one. We bring all our troubles with us. We bring our whole self with us into this congregation because that's what community is all about. So I want you all to come up to the front, and here's how we're going to do it in the most communitarian way I can devise. We're going to start with the, start with the back rows, and just like for the candle lighting, we're going to come up the sides and go back down the middle. Does that make sense? You're welcome to come on up. I was fortunate enough to have a fireplace that actually still worked. Thank you. And I shared it with several of my neighbors, none of whom had fireplaces. We all had water, though. So that was good. My favorite brand of flavored water that... I had it that my cat got to, got permission to taste for the first time during the freeze last year when we were when we did not have any. 
<laughs> tap water to give him. But last year during the freeze, <coughs> I attempted to do the water, the snow in the toilet, but I did not have enough. I ended up having to carry my waste from the toilet to the dumpster and found out that because there was no ice, because the ice on the stairs, I fell down. And this is actually the first time, this is today's actually the first time since that time a year ago when I've been able to use my wrist without a brace. Uh, the good water is from my first chance to go to U Bar U ever. Enjoyed it. Um, last year sucked. At uh, 4 a.m., my hot water heater blew up. I don't know why you people put hot water heaters in attics, but it's really stupid. That's all I'm going to say. And, and where I came from in Corpus, we had them in the bay, on the floor level. And it was four days without water and electricity and dealing with basically the walking dead in my house because of all the stuff that fell out of my Basically, three-fourths of my ceiling fell down, and all my floors were damaged. Loads of fun. Good insurance, though. So that's my white privilege. I got had good insurance. So my house is back. My PTSD is better from last year. We have a pool. We weren't going to run out of water, and I keep sterilizer tabs around. My neighborhood was supported because it's near one of the big distributor things for Internet. Oriole, I think it's called. Anyway, but five days before this thing was over, my specific block had a, one of the big transmitter things go out. So suddenly... Our six houses don't have it. My daughter has fibromyalgia, which means she's always cold. She's wrapped all the time. And COVID's rampant, so it's, can you go? A neighbor came over with mask and said she can go in our back door to our upstairs room, have the internet, take a small TV, whatever she needs, and she can stay with us. You know, not room for everybody, but we had a fireplace we actually kind of had a good time. All the neighbors gave us wood, and we had plenty of water. So we were going to be fine as long as it was brief. You know, the old, sometimes you're lucky. I'm going to pretend that water is um, outside of the island of Maui, because I was able to visit for the first time. Um, my housemate and I lost by 11 o'clock the next morning. Lost all power, all water. I'm a little shaky, sorry. At around two, I started to think that it was a good idea to burn our charcoal pit inside the house. <laughs> and that's when I recognized I was losing my brain functionality. Um, so we packed our stuff up, two huge backpacks. Um, and I walked, we walked a mile and a half to someone's home who I'd never met was a housemate who had, or excuse me, a coworker I'd never met because it had been COVID and she had been hired since COVID. So at that point, COVID didn't matter. Like we needed to survive. Um, so yeah, we packed up our stuff and went there and there was about seven of us um, in a one bedroom studio for four days. <laughs> um, and then I realized I was out of meds because you can always get, you know, Get a prescription, HEB fills it out. And I was completely out. I didn't realize the storm was going to last that long. So a group of off-duty firefighters, after working a 72-hour shift, came to my house and took me to the HEB five minutes before it closed so I could get my meds. Um, lots of angels that week.
I lost my power for 84 hours, was very lucky. I abandoned my home and stayed on a couch with a friend and a very large, a very loud bird. Um, but I'm so grateful to my neighbor who called and drained my water so that I did not lose my heat pump like most of our neighbors did. So grateful for my neighbors. Well, water's pretty precious. And I found out also how comforting it could be. For we too had the luck of having a fireplace. And we too had a couple bags of charcoal, which quickly found their home in the fireplace, along with kindling I made from the back fencing. Everybody's got back fencing. It's made of cedar. Burns real well. So uh, after wearing myself out with a handsaw, cutting 12-inch lengths of cedar and chopping them up and burning them, um, I went to the HEB and found some fellows that would cut me a stack. So I soon became uh, the main chopper and cutter and tender of the fire. The highlight of the event of keeping warm, though, and its relationship to water was when you go to bed at night, you guys know how cold it was if you had a second floor. It was awful cold on the second floor. So we decided to heat the water in a Boy Scout type pot that made by a grill over the fireplace that we had, pour the hot water into water bottles like I see you carrying and stuffed them in the bed. Slept pretty well. <laughs> that represents water from my bird bath. Um, every morning I go out and put water out for the birds, and um, at night I put water out for the wild animals. And I like to make the front yard into a sanctuary for the wildlife. Uh, I was very lucky during the freeze, I did not lose water or power. And so um, I thank the powers that be. That symbolizes water from my kitchen. I was, by pure dumb luck, in one of those neighborhoods that did not lose power or water. Uh, I was just reflecting on, well, some might say thank the Lord or whatever. It was luck, just plain dumb luck. And I was, we found out later why, but that was luck too. None of us had any idea otherwise why it had happened to us. But uh, that was my story and I'm sticking to it. We were out without power for 67 hours. Uh, did not lose water. I think in this occasion. We did not lose water. We had to boil it. Had to boil it at one point. Yeah. But uh, this sort of characterizes how those 67 hours felt. <laughs> and uh, since then, we have uh, what we call. We've gone. <clears throat> okay, forget the politics. <clears throat> We've gone off grid. <clears throat> we, came, we came down here in 2005 from the northeast, and we had not thrown away our comforters. 
we had not thrown away our parkas. We were cold, but our houses were insulated. We survived. The water that we're sharing today comes from two sources. One is, they're both from a trip we took last fall, and one is from uh, Lake Superior, which is the largest lake in North America, and the other is from uh, the Mississippi River, which is the largest river by volume. Uh, so we were there, and particularly with Lake Superior, when you, know, you look out and you see water as far as the eye can see, that in contrast to the nine days we spent without drinkable water last February. Uh, yeah. Several of those days were with no water at all coming out of our, our taps. Um, and then the rest of the time we were under a boil water notice. One lesson we learned was that it's not a good use of labor to fill your bathtub with snow when there's no heat in your home to melt the snow. <laughs> so, but... But the larger lesson we learned, I think looking back on it in contrast with our vacation, was that we were for nine days, and it seemed like nine really long days, but only nine days, when we were among the have-nots in the world without access to safe drinking water when there are millions of people who live in those conditions all the time. So I think it was a valuable lesson for us. Um. So I actually got this water bottle walking downtown, and someone just said, do you want free water? Ask how. So apparently this company, WellAware, I think, they, um, they pay for these with advertisements. So these are advertisements, and they said um, the money goes to build wells and water systems in places that need it. So I thought that was pretty cool. And it's not plastic, so it's easy to reuse. Um, but funnily enough, this is my first time here, and that story, my sister wrote it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so that was, so I lived with them for five months when I moved to Austin. So that was, it was uh, my sister, her husband, her three little girls, and me. So that was pretty much exactly what happened. They really, they really did bathe in a crawfish pot, and they all really loved it. So, um, but one thing that it really made me appreciate actually was my sister. So she's a stay-at-home mom. And I didn't even think about it, but she fed all six of us for five days with whatever she had in her pantry. And I think we just took it for granted. So three meals a day, two snacks. Sometimes I had the snacks. Um, she did that. So I, I think I was especially grateful to all that she did because she made it seem really seamless. Well, I, I had water power and uh, gas all the time, so I didn't have that problem. The neighbors did, people all over the areas, the state did. And this water that I poured in here is symbolically water from the Tanahas that are in the, for example, the Big Bend region there in the canyons that drain into the Rio uh, Bravo, the Rio Grande. Uh, <clears throat> And they catch that occasional huge thunderstorm water in those canyons. And the animals sometimes depend on that. And going back uh, thousands of years, the indigenous peoples would depend on that. And the peoples coming 
that were uh, coming from the South uh, depend on it. And I spent uh, a month out there in August a number of years ago depending on that too. So it's a remarkable collection of life-giving and sustaining water, as water is everywhere. So we were without power for, I want to say, close to a week. Mm. Um, And at the end, we also lost our water, of course, as well, uh, which was definitely difficult. Um, You know, we have Rowan, who has medical complexities and um, needs bandage changes, and that was particularly hard when your house is 40 degrees. Um, But what I wanted to say was, actually, we were... um, the, the ice storm was kind of <laughs> this capstone for us. And, um, we had a years-long struggle with infertility, and uh, we spent our life savings <laughs> doing IVF during a pandemic. And, of course, the first month, after months and months and months, of we were able to transfer our embryo, uh, our frozen embryo, was... February 17th (laughs) and we actually stayed at somebody's house we didn't know um, so that if our car couldn't make it to the clinic we could walk and so we have little Celine here Um, she was transferred during the storm the waters in commemoration of a trip that Elizabeth and I took in December to Panama City Beach and Amelia Island Florida and uh Uh, We had a wonderful time there, and we had no great problems during the great freeze. We were without water for several days, but we managed to get by, and we were without uh, electricity for only a few hours. Uh, We went out in the middle of the night, and so the next morning at sunrise, the city of Austin was across the street working to restore our power. And so during that, not only am I thankful and reminded of those who do not have these services all the time, but I'm also thankful for the hardworking men and women of the city of Boston who did their damnedest to try to help us all out during that time. That water represents rainwater. Um, I remember the first drought I experienced in Texas, and when it rained, we went outside and danced in it, how precious water is. Um, and you become very aware of that, whether you've been through a freeze or not here in Texas. Um, I have so many thoughts when it comes to that freeze. Uh, I'm from Iowa, so the cold, we did lose power, but I knew how to deal with it. Um, And here's a hint. If you have a pizza stone or an iron skillet and gas oven, heat it up and then put it in your bed as a a warmer. (laughs) Um, If you have a tent, put it over your bed. It'll keep heat in and keep you warm. Okay, so... We had a friend who stayed with us because her house was freezing, and her neighbor actually died. She froze to death. And I, 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 the people, there were people who died because of this, and it was preventable. That's what really devastates me. Um, on another note, it's when I started photographing trees. Uh, because the ice on the trees was so beautiful. And the art that's in the gallery out there is the result of that. 
So it's a very, very mixed thing for me. Um, thank you. I certainly agree with the previous speaker that it's unfortunate that a lot of this could have been prevented. Um, we lost power for less than eight hours, but we did have two pipes break, fortunately, in the garage. Our neighbor brought us over drinking water, and we soon realized that snow was not enough quantity to flush the toilet very often. Um, and then, after the worst of it, our son came over and said, gosh, you've got this big tank of rainwater that you can use uh, to flush toilets, you know? And uh, about 15 years ago, my husband became very active with, at Zilker Park with rainwater harvesting. And so we had bought this huge tank, I don't know, probably 500 gallons or something. So after that, it was pretty easy to, <laughs> to go out and get water and flush the toilet. So the rainwater harvesting paid off. <laughs> I'm consolidating. That was actually water from my uh, countertop t storage, storage tank that I did not have last year, but now have and still have uh, some water in from the last freeze when I wound up not needing it this time around. Um, last year, I lost power for less than 24 hours. It wasn't too bad. It's the first time I've lost power for more than an hour since I've lived in that house, which has been 20 years. But... Um, it was manageable, and the power and water weren't off at the same time. They kind of took turns. Um, my brother and sister-in-law lived near Seton, so they did not lose power and were able to bring my mom and her caregiver over um, when she lost power at her place. And my mom's caregiver uh, commutes, for, the one of them commutes from New Braunfels, so she came in knowing that she was going to be stuck there for several days. And... I appreciate that, and that um, my mom's place where she lived opened a vacant apartment so that she'd have a place to stay when she was off duty. And we got through it. See, this uh, water represents water from the ocean. We got to go to the beach last week, and um, it was wonderful looking out at the ocean. It's so broad and goes on forever. And I remember feeling peaceful in the time of all of this chaos and war, thinking the ocean that we looked at touched all the other oceans around the whole world. They're all just really one ocean. And it felt nice thinking that really we're all just really one people. And someday I think we'll come closer to realizing that. And our experience of the storm was kind of like that. We hadn't lived very long where we are living now when the storm hit. And so Richard, I know you'll be surprised, tromped up and down the street. We lost power and water for five days. So, um, and we have an all-electric house. Everybody does. And uh, so he tromped up and down the street to make sure everybody, you know, had a place in some place. And uh, an older neighbor who we did not know didn't have a place. And so we had a fireplace and some wood. So we brought her down to our house where she spent the night with us in front of the fireplace um, for two nights, and she was quite a character, and we really love her now because we know her. And that's what happens when you know someone, you love them. She was afraid of a hermit crab who had to be in a box by the fire to stay warm, but he stayed in the box, 
And uh, our children in town, one of the families, uh, we have children in town, and uh, they said, we have water and we have heat. You just need to come here. And by that time, it was clear that you could actually drive on the roads if you were brave. And so we decided we would do that. We tried to get our neighbor to come with us, but she was afraid that Richard could not drive on the ice. She did not know he had grown up in New Jersey and could probably drive across Antarctica. <laughs> so we, she went next door to our next door, next door neighbors who were heating themselves with an ornamental gas fireplace. And uh, she slept with them in front of their fireplace. And we left and actually had a very joyous time because it was the first time since COVID that our whole family had been together inside nor in some sort of semblance of normalcy and it was really in a way a silver lining so and we were very lucky during the freeze uh, i just lived in a perpetual state of anxiety that we were going to lose power but that's better than losing power so that's fine. So by good timing i seem to always donate blood just before this ritual, which is fantastic. I've given almost 10 gallons of blood. And I would encourage you, just becomes a habit. Um, I would encourage you all to do that if you haven't. It's one of the ways that you can share your water with uh, people who need it. Important. And then on the other side, um, for the storm, uh, because of system failures, we lost sewage more than any other commodity, any other utility. And so we were doing okay in the storm until the city started telling us stop putting things in the sewer. Um, at which point you start realizing what happens if the sewage can't leave the neighborhood. And so it's, it's a poignant reminder how interconnected all these systems are and how we depend on not just the water coming into our house, but the water leaving our house. That's water from our Houston house, which was our home for 30 years. And Snowpocalypse was our first winter here. So I think that made us feel um, somewhat more vulnerable. We lost power for several days, but my daughter never lost power and water. So she valiantly slowly drove over and rescued us and we hunkered down at her place. And we're very grateful. So my boyfriend and I had a lovely date at the rodeo yesterday, and this is water from there. Um, and as far as the storm, we uh, live on the east side, so um, right next to a prison and a water treatment plant. Um, so due to racism, we had water the whole time and power. Um, we were really worried about our friends, and that same guy, uh, same boyfriend from the date, um, He's an Eagle Scout, so we had everything we needed, even though we didn't need it. So we gave away uh, water, wood, um, and in one, on one occasion, we filled backpacks with um, heaters and uh, cat food for friends that had run out of cat food, and we kind of met them. We both walked a mile and met each other and gave them the cat food. So, Hey, so... Last year during that storm, we lost, we just lost electricity, I think maybe 20 hours or so, but we did lose water the full week, and we do have a swimming pool, so we provided buckets of water to lots of our neighbors, and that was something good, but it was pretty dreary. It was just so 
freezing cold during that time and not being able to have water. And uh, so a dear childhood friend of ours, of mine, from uh, who lives in Colorado, she took pity on us, got online, and she ordered some fruits and veggies that didn't need to be cooked and sent us a case of this Mountain Valley wine. Uh, wine, excuse me. <laughs> what I think of water, <laughs> Mountain Valley water. And this is the last bottle of that water. That's why I didn't put all of it in the thing there. But uh, it was just really, that, that was nice. That was wonderful to receive this water, even though we received it, of course, after the freeze was done, because that's when the stores could deliver again. Um, but one memorable thing for me, because everything was just so brown. We lost plants, we lost trees, and everywhere. Everything was just so dreary. But a year ago today, the first day of spring, I walked outside and literally gasped because the world had turned green. Suddenly, green was everywhere. Leaves were coming out. And uh, so when I think of water, I think of green and life. And anyway, I'll let you. We have lived out at the ranch for, well, ever since the start of uh, the pandemic. And when it got really cold, our kids and grandkids moved up into our house where we uh, all hunkered down. The insulation's a little better where we are. And we were doing okay, except our big worry was the propane gas because we have propane heat. And it I had forgotten to fill the tank when you could, so we were down below, oh, I don't know, below 15%. And every day I'd go out and we were down another percent, another percent. So uh, we were pretty chilly, but we were kind of doing okay. We have a fireplace and so forth. And um, then the uh, power did go out, and uh, we found we could light the gas stove with a latch. But uh, finally, we all hunkered down in front of the fireplace. The kids were all with their mother in the, in the bed, huddled up. And when the power came on at, I don't know, 3 o'clock in the morning, the lights all went on, and the uh, robotic vacuum cleaner said, beginning scheduled cleaning. <laughs> I don't know if that's the voice of God or what. <laughs> so there you go. That is water from my son's bath. Uh, he was a little bit over 2 when the freeze hit. And he, we obviously couldn't fill a whole tub, but we boiled a little pot of water, and he got into the clawfoot tub, and we would pour water over him, and he could play with his bath toys. Uh, and to this day, we sometimes have to do special baths where we boil water on the pot and bring it in there because it was such an exciting experience for him. And really, the only time we talk about it, we were pretty lucky. We had power. We had, uh, we didn't have water, but we had power and, and heat and so on throughout. And he constantly talks about when is he going to get to build another snowman. And when is grandma going to come and stay with us for a week again? So his, his memories of the freeze are entirely positive. And so it's, the, it's interesting to have that be the only time it's really talked about in our home. I'm going to leave out the personal anecdotes and just get to the core uh, engineering and science. So because of uh, conservation organizations I'm a member of, I get various documents when they're being released. And a few weeks ago, I got the document released by the people who are in charge of the whole state uh, utility 
system. I don't remember, there was multiple ones. There's the Public Utility Commission, there's the Railroad Commission, there's bunches of commissions. And they distributed a written document and then they had videotaped uh, testimony. And as far as I could tell, these were the top people in the state. And they had had a year to figure this out. It seems like they couldn't figure it out. It was too complicated. The system was just too complicated. It had too many, when, when it, you all of a sudden had this, I mean, the only thing they knew is this was supposed to be, this was like, I forget, once in a hundred year phenomenon. And so they just weren't, they didn't have any experience with anything this complicated. And they didn't have an analysis to prevent these kinds of things from happening. So it, was, it just seemed like chaos reigned. So we just got hit, you know, by the side of our head and stuff. So, it, you know, it didn't seem like there was any idiots. You know, there wasn't some guilty party. Just Mother Nature did a number on us. And uh, all I can say is just is that I had no idea that figuring this stuff out and all the moving parts, so to speak, was so complicated. And hopefully they'll figure out what to do, but I don't think what, they've figured it out yet. <laughs> so we gather the waters together like we gather our souls and spirits together in a community, and we bless this water, and we bless our lives. We bless the water that's in our lives. And now, please join me in saying the words for extinguishing the flame. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of love, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts. Before I sing our benediction, President Tony Wegner has an announcement about the ministerial transition. I was going to say tradition, but that's not a transition. We know that we're already running late. I know there are many questions about what's next for First UU, and I wanted to give you just a little bit of an update. Um, I can't give you a definitive answer yet because the board is still weighing the various options, and we're waiting to meet with the UUA program transition manager the final decision of the path, what we're going to do, will be up to the board. Um, but the UUA is strongly recommending, just to give you an idea of what the possibilities are, they're strongly recommending that we have a two-year interim minister followed by a search for a new called settled minister. And interim ministers are standard between settled ministers for a variety of reasons. In our case, we will need some time to grieve Meg's health and the end of this 11-year ministry with a beloved minister. A two-year interim period allows time for the grieving and also to think about what we want next and need next as a congregation. The UUA search process, if we follow the traditional, takes a year and a half from start to finish, and it involves a lot of input and reflection on, from the whole congregation. So everybody would have a chance to weigh in. The two things I want to mention real quickly about what comes next. First, 
the UUA policy prevents an, any interim minister from becoming the settled, settled minister. Um, and that's, um, so if we go that route, then uh, it really truly is a time to focus on what we need. The second thing I wanna say is that Chris is interested in staying on and will help in whatever way is needed during the interim. He will also be eligible to be considered for the settled minister position. So just some things to keep in mind. I'm happy to stick around immediately after the service for any additional questions. Thank you. Please sing with me if you care to. I know this rose will open. I know my fear will burn away. I know my soul will unfurl its wings. I know this rose will open. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.